This podcast is part of the Batman Universe Podcast Network, hosted by the BatmanUniverse.net. Check out everything related to Batman and the entire Bat family at the BatmanUniverse.net, including news and original content related to comics, movies, television, merchandise, video games, and more. Also, check out some of the other unique podcasts that TBU has to offer. Consider supporting this podcast by becoming a patron on Patreon. Even $1 can go a long way in supporting this content that you enjoy. Look for a link over at thebatmanuniverse.net to offer your support now. And now, on with the show. Hi, this is Jim Lee, and you're listening to the Batman Universe Comic Con Podcast. Hi, I'm Dan Jerkins, and you're listening to the Hello everyone and welcome to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast, episode number 276. I am your host Dustin and today I have with me... This is Steph. And this is Ian. We're bringing the latest comic news and comic book reviews from the weeks of June 16th through June 29th. We have a total of two books, as usual, to cover. And we have a small amount of stuff here or there. But uh, I'm pretty sure we'll have time for a monkey watch. So it's been a little bit of a time since we've had one of those. So be prepared for what that could be. Just leaving that out there. Anyway, so over the past couple of weeks, there hasn't been a whole lot of news because as we all know from the last episode, if you, if you gave it a listen, there was a lot of news that happened just before we recorded the last episode. So much so that it was almost bewildering to me, at least because I'm posting a lot of this news on the site, how much news there actually was because there was a lot. Um, but the solicitations did actually come out right before we recorded last time because as i've said as i've said in the past for some reason they've moved their solicitation release date to friday rather than monday but unfortunately i just don't have time to do the breakdown prior to um, us needing to record in a couple days so i have the breakdown now so let's cover what happened so the as i said the solicitations were released on june 14th and just as it seems we're starting to it seems like we're starting to sound like a broken record honestly because every month we examine the latest batch of solicitations and now for the four month fourth month in a row there's a ton new titles that tv will be covering Normally, this would be expected if a bunch of recent miniseries had just wrapped, but that's not the case. Instead, over the past few, over the, over that, or the past few days prior to the solicitations releasing, DC has made a number of announcements that made, that seemed to be a list of stuff that would typically be announced at multiple conventions. So let's dive into everything coming in this September. As we've said in the past, there are three new series coming to the TBU lineup in September. The first of these series will be a new six-issue miniseries featuring the monster characters of the Batman universe with Gotham, Gotham City Monsters. This is coming from writer Steve Orlando, and this new series will connect to the 2016 event, Night of the Monster Men. There's also a new team-up title featuring Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy. This six-issue miniseries titled Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy from writer Jody Hauser deals with the fallout of the events of Heroes in Crisis. The last series is actually a new DC Black Label title, which will focus on Harley, featuring a unique twist on her origin from writer-artist Stepjin Sijik. And uh, that will be called Harleen, and will publish bi-monthly and have a total of three issues. All that we talked about in the last episode. 
Um, interestingly, there is also a number of comics being published in September that are part of a new banner called Dollar Comics, which, as the title implies, will be priced $1 and reprint some of the mo- most popular issues from the ca- pa- past couple decades. Specifically, for the month of September, there is a, there, the ones that are releasing is Dollar Comics, Detective Comics 854, which is the first chapter of Batwoman debuting within Detective Comics. And then we have Batman 608, which is the beginning of Hush. There's uh, Dollar Comics Harley Quinn number one, which is the first issue from her series during the New 52. And there's also one for Crisis on Infinite Earths, um, which is obviously the first chapter for that. Now, quite honestly, I don't know why they're suddenly doing these Dollar Comics. It does state that each one of these Dollar Comics is 32 pages, which is odd, unless they're going to have some sort of other supplemental material because some of these issues were not originally 32 pages back in the day so there's that um outside of the dollar comics of course diving into the specifics with the covers and text found within the solicits as always there's there's a few things worth noting last month featured black mask getting an offer and i say last month meaning oh dustin can we go back to the dollar comics for just a second yeah yeah let's talk about dollar comics so um this is clearly a move to copy Marvel, one of the few times I've noticed DC explicitly doing that. And I'm a little, um, I don't want to say disappointed, but I kind of look at this and say, you're doing this better in other areas. Because the comics they're picking are mostly things they are reprinting in the, the Walmart comics. So they're doing the first issue of Hush, which they just finished in um, the Walmart comics. Uh, they're doing, like... The first issue of Batwoman, which, quite honestly, I wish they'd do that instead of the Gail Simone New, Fi- New 52 Batgirl in Walmart Batman. Much better series. Um, so I, I look at this and I'm like, I see you're chasing this audience that Marvel's built up with their True Believers $1 price point. But they've got a much better deal with their, their Walmart comics, where they have this channel of reprints that are a really good price um five dollars for four issues so i guess a dollar is a better shot but i don't think they're going to be reprinting the whole series at a dollar an issue so i just don't quite understand what exactly their long-term plan is here whereas i do see the long-term plan for the walmart comics which is a very similar thing in terms of reprints and indeed the same material but you can collect the whole series and it's i think a better deal so that's my comment on the dollar comics. I don't know if anyone else is even interested because I know Dustin probably has most of these already. Yeah, I have all of them, and I have no I have no desire to get to spend a dollar for a reprinted issue. Now, what's interesting is when they released the August solicitations, they had the there was a facsimile edition of Batman something. It was the first appearance of Ra's al Ghul, and they made a big deal about it, and actually. In one of the interviews that Dan DiDio did on DC Daily, which of course that's it's hard to even know what's going on because unless you're actually watching DC Daily on the app now, they don't even release the YouTube version of it anymore. But anyway, um, Dan DiDio actually said that they saw their competition was releasing these fast meal editions. And they thought it was a good idea to do it because fans have been asking for it for quite some time. And they've decided, okay, why not? We'll do it. 
the issue that is actually coming on August is priced at like three ninety nine, and is is when when, it, when it's called a fast mail edition, it basically means it's exactly the way it was reprint. It was printed back then, including the original advertisements. And there were some people who were pretty interested in that, especially since some of the some of the edition. I know there was a couple of other ones too that were announced. I think there was a Swamp Thing one that was announced in August too. Obviously, that's outside our realm, but. I think that there was another one, but then all of a sudden the next month there's no Fast Meal editions, but there's all these dollar comics. So I'm not real sure exactly who this is geared towards because let's be honest, I don't think the comic market, meaning the people who are buying stuff at a comic shop, are going to be looking for these issues. I mean, don't get me wrong, it's a great primer if you've never read this stuff, but... You're probably not going into a comic store looking for these issues. Well, I mean, I just, I don't know. Just piping up for a second here. I'm a total cheapskate. My husband is can pinch a penny till it bleeds. And so we went into a comic book shop once because I think it was, yeah, it was right when 50 came out. So I planned to get uh, Pacat Woman number one and Batman 50. And so my husband's kind of looked around and uh, the... DC Nation number one came out, and it was a quarter, right? Or was it free? I don't remember. I think our place charged a quarter. Yeah, I think it was He's a like, quarter. Ooh, a quarter? I'll pay a quarter. quarter for a comic book? And he didn't even care what was in it. So I think, I don't know exactly if boyfriends and girlfriends who aren't comic book fans being dragged to comic book stores is a huge market, but those are, I can imagine those are the type of people that'd be like, okay, it's a dollar. I'll give it a shot. I'll see what this crap is about. Right. But the thing, but, but there's not, I, that's not I, a huge market. I right. And I, and I don't disagree with you. I'm not saying it's not something that like a comic shop could buy a bunch of and just have as an easy primer to get people interested into some of these characters. But let's be honest here, getting introduced to the first chapter of a longer story and then potentially not having the rest, then you have to go buy the rest. Like, I don't know if this is specifically planned like this, but getting the first chapter of Batwoman's introduction into the Batman universe, the first chapter of Hush, Harley Quinn's first issue, which that's not really that big of a deal, or the first first chapter of Crisis on Infinite Earths, those are like big stories that, okay, are you really going to pay a dollar or are you just going to walk over the trade paperbacks and buy the entire story because... I mean, like, sure, you could spend a dollar and find out how it starts off, but you're not going to get the end of the story or the middle of the story or even the rest of the beginning of the story. So I don't and know. And what's worse is if you buy the trade, you're buying the same thing exactly. you already bought. Exactly. That's, 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 what, that's so why I was. If you're, if you're that penny pincher, I love the idea of the 25 cent comics, um, Year of the Villain and DC Nation because Those yes, perfect, they're teasers, yeah. but they're sort of their own story, mm-hmm. you know? So you feel like you're getting a complete product. These are clearly not complete stories. And that frustrates me. That's why I think that. The Walmart comics are a better market because it's a bigger audience mm-hmm. and you have this regular schedule that you buy it once a month, even if it's a little hard to get a hold of. Yeah. You know, speaking of Walmart comics, this is slightly off topic, but I just <laughs> want to bring this up because it was something I was thinking about when I was putting the the uh, breakdown of the solicitations down. So the everybody knows that the Walmart comics were five dollars. You get it was like a twelve page story, brand new. And then the rest was reprinted chapters from other stories. Hush was the one, as as Ian pointed out. There have been other ones. There was a Nightwing one. Harley Quinn was popping up for a point in time. They've, you know, they, they collect a bunch of stories, but they're charging five dollars. But you really, if you already have read stuff in the past, you're paying five dollars for that those twelve original story pages. 
Now, what's odd to me is that the the new the new series that's starting off this month in July is called Batman Universe. It's collecting the two chapters of the Walmart books in one, and then each issue there will be six issues, and it'll tell the entire complete story that Brian Michael Bendis was telling. The catch, of course, is that for some reason, when it's collected and you're just getting those two chapters, you're paying five dollars. So it's a dollar more than a normal comic, which I know they claim that it still has 32 pages, but it only is 24 pages, and that's just as many pages as everyone else. So why exactly do you think they're charging an extra dollar for that? Especially since they're already making some money off of the Walmart stuff. Well, I mean, the obvious and cynical answer is because they can and people will pay for it. Yeah. Uh, they do have top-level writers and artists on this, so they're going to get people who, who want to have this. And, you know, people like yourself or people who I talk to all the time who can't or won't go to Walmart or Walmart sold out because of scalpers. By the way, if you're a scalper, stop it. Um, I have been lucky to be able to get all of them. Um, but I think that there's a couple things on the, the less cynical side that I could see them just fine. Um, I know that at least the Wonder Woman comics are going to have brand new covers by Amanda Connor. Um, and is that worth two? Well, okay, let's say a normal comic's four ninety nine. So this is a dollar more than a normal comic. Is a is a brand new cover by an A list artist worth uh, an extra dollar? No, but it is nice. I'm actually, even though I have all the the Wonder Woman comics by Amanda Connor, um, I am tempted. Uh, I'm probably not going to. I might buy the trade because it'll probably have all the covers, but. I, I do understand that impulse, and I could see someone who's a more dedicated collector uh, going for that, seeing that as extra value. Uh, the other thing is, uh, the Walmart paper is very cheap. Um, it's not quite newsprint, but it's a little less sturdy than the, the the matte paper that they started doing for all DC Comics last year. So I think that they'll probably be printing them on the, the sturdier paper of normal comics. So I think that's another thing that they're um, going to be saying, this is the value that we're adding for the extra money. Um, do I agree with them? No. Um, I really think they should actually shoot these for um, uh, lower than normal. Uh Honestly, I would say shoot these for two dollars or one ninety nine. They'd never do that. So if they did a two ninety nine comic for you know the throwback price, uh, that would be good. But they're a level writers. They've pulled this kind of nonsense before when Scott Snyder was writing Batman, and they kept bumping it up to five to six dollars for special issues like Batman number forty or Batman number forty one. And Scott Snyder would say, "No, we got to stop doing that." But DC always loves to charge for A-list writers and artists. And so I think that's really their justification for how much they're charging for these. Because they did put premium talent on these series. And I don't disagree with that at all. I mean, I definitely agree that they have top-level talent on these titles. It's just I don't want to pay a premium for top-level talent, for especially for a story that, while Bendis has said that this story is in continuity and it matters, I don't. I don't know why it matters because unless it, I mean, like, let's be honest, if it, 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 the first issue comes out in July, the last issue will come out in January. When the last issue comes out, does that mean Bendis is coming on to a title? Uh, I doubt it. So I'm not real sure why him making a story or writing a story, a Batman story, let's say two year, two or a year and a half before the possibility of him even being on a Bat book happens just doesn't make any sense to me. I mean, it just doesn't, but. 
whatever. I, I mean, let's be honest. It's all because D- DC wants to make an extra dollar and that's all it really is. I mean, like they're of course going to claim that the, the paper quality and the, the new cover is going to enhance the value of the, what's inside, but that's not true. I just don't believe that. I just, I found that an, I found that as an annoying little thing that I keep, I keep getting reminded of when I'm doing these breakdowns. Yeah, I agree. And I also, I've been ranting on the Discord about the cardstock covers. I'm really mad that they're making cardstock covers for a dollar more. I think this is a naked money grab, and I I predict in one year, if these sell well enough, DC is going to start doing the normal cover for $4, and then the cardstock cover for $5, and there's not going to be an option for a the, the A and B covers that we've been getting for the last four years, that's going to be gone. It's going to be a premium cover. It's going to be more expensive, and I really dislike it. Yeah, it's been more than four years, though. That's been going on for almost the length of the New 52. Well, uh, with but... The, with the two covers. But Rebirth specifically started with um, no incentives, and everything was the same price. Yeah. All right, so... Moving along, uh, like I said, diving into specifics found within the covers and the text, uh, last month featured Black Mask getting an offer f- uh, through Year of the Villain. This month has Riddler involved in the Year of the Villain. Uh, this issue will be written by Mark Russell, who will show how the Riddler is dealing with not getting an offer like so many of the other villains of the DC Universe and how he deals with it. Um, both Batgirl and Red Hood mention being part of Year of the Villain, while Nightwing will be dealing with... Introducing Rick Grayson to the Court of Owls. Yay. Um, moving over to creative changes or creator changes. Uh, Clay Mann comes on to Batman for a brief two issue interlude while Tony Daniel takes a quick break from City of Bane, which I find slightly interesting because Tony Daniel will have only have been on the series for a total of three issues prior to this. But well, okay. So, so there's two things I want to say about that. Tony Daniel is slow. Um, we know this because every time he's on art, he has to take a break after four or five issues. Uh, issue but number he's been 70- off. He's been off the book for like 15 issues. Come right. on. I know, but I, I listened to a podcast with Tom King and he said Tony Daniels actually been working for Hollywood, Hollywood, like some either concept art or like storyboards or something. Well, then they get somebody so he, else. He has <laughs> been doing something. Um, but the other thing is, uh, 75 is going to be, I think, a, almost a double size. So, He's going to have the equivalent of four issues. Do I think this justifies Tony Daniel not having the whole arc done? No, I do not. But I was completely unsurprised. And honestly, given that this is going to be like a teaser for the Batman Catwoman series with King and Clay Mann working together on Batman Catwoman, because that's what the interlude's about. I'm excited. Um, I actually, I mean, I think long-term listeners know I prefer Clay Mann to Tony Daniel's art. But uh, I know Tony Daniel's a huge draw. So I, I do think it's bad schedule. Yeah, it's bad scheduling because let's be honest. While I I have uh, I enjoy Tony Daniel's art, I'm not going to deny that. I do think that it's absolutely ridiculous that you can't at least put together an issue a month when you're on a book of this high caliber. This is like notoriously one of the top selling, if not the top selling, title within DC, month in month out for year after year, decades for decades. So let's be honest. When you're attached to a title like this, and you let, let's be honest, when was the last time we saw his art? It was before the wedding, wasn't before it? Before the wedding, the wasn't the Buster Booster Gold. Yeah, it was the Booster Gold story. So that's been 25 issues. That's almost that's an entire year since we've seen him, and yet somehow. 
he couldn't get more than four issues, three, you know, th- three issues pl- with one being slightly oversized. He couldn't get that many. He couldn't get more than that. That just is ridiculous. I just, uh, man. And I, you know, I understand that artists have other projects that they're working on. That's fine. But then why is he still on the book? Like, I want to see Tony Daniels art just as much as the next person. But let's be honest. If you can't consistently keep an artist on a series, especially with these longer arcs that we're getting into, then why are we having these artists on the series? Or why aren't these arcs shorter? It just doesn't make any sense to me. But anyway, I digress. All right. Moving on uh, to other ones. Christian Douche is, uh, continues, Douche uh, continues to be on Detective Comics with 1011, while Doug Mankey is back for 1012. Um, Ram V continues to fill in on Catwoman with Mirka and Dolfo, which leads to the questions of whether this is a permanent change or just temporary because it's the second month in a row that's happening. Uh, Sammy Bassery heads over to Harley Quinn. Ronan Clickett is on Nightwing and Bernard Chang is back on Teen Titans in September. Finally, last month, uh, meaning in August, Kenneth Rockefeller came on to Red Hood and in September he remains on the title. So this might also be another permanent change as well. A couple of other noteworthy points. The deceased miniseries will be taking a break in September as a one-shot showcasing some of the other areas affected by the virus is released. Uh, Young Justice seems to be missing from the solicits, but Brian Michael Bendis stated on Twitter that it was some sort of paper mix-up without actually saying it would be in stores in September. So, there's that. Um, I can't imagine Bendis is behind on writing. The man is a machine. In terms I'm sure of he's not. And the artist that is attached to the series currently is John Timms, and he can churn out stuff with no issues either. He's been on Harley Quinn multiple times and has had no issue churning out multiple issues in very short time, short time frames. So, like, it does feel like a, a mishap, but then it's like, well, the issue typically comes out at the beginning of the month, not the end. So it's not like, well, DC just decided to like shift it over one week and that's why we're not getting in September. No, it'd have to be shifted four weeks in order for it to not appear. So, and of course, despite the fact that this happened and he stated that on Twitter, DC never released this listed in any way, like even through like one of their media partners or anything like that to say, hey, wait, actually the series is coming out. We made a mistake. So who knows? I, I don't know why it would be happening. Why he's saying it, it, you know, there's no, there's no issues or delays. And then of course there is because it's not in there. So no idea. Um, elsewhere, elsewhere, Batman will be appearing in action comics while Solomon Grundy will be appearing in Justice League Dark. There's also a two a new two-issue series dealing with the future timelines within the DC Universe that will feature Batman Beyond, which we talked about last episode. Um, if you are interested in seeing the entire list of all the solicits of all the books that we cover here on TBU, you can head over to the site. And there's also a cover gallery featuring some of the really good covers from the month of September, um, as well as, like I said, the entire list of everything that is available coming September. This list is getting larger and larger month after month, I swear. Um, we're still a couple months out from some of the miniseries that launched in May ending with Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. That doesn't end until October. And then same thing with Event Leviathan. That doesn't end until... Uh, November. So I mean, there's, there's a little bit of time with some of these books, but like, it's, uh, it's interesting. Now, I will say this. We had said ages ago that DC should do mi- more miniseries. And they, they are. They are doing more miniseries. Um, they're doing less 
main series, and they've been adding more and more mini series to the lineup. And I will applaud them for making that decision because I think that ultimately, especially, and honestly, it feels like Wonder Comics was kind of the litmus paper for this, where they had these books come out. They said they were only going to be six issue mini series outside of Young Justice, and because they were only six issue mini series, some of them actually were like extended. Uh, Naomi had already been, it was already known that Naomi was coming back for a second volume, which is actually just a continuation of the first. It'll just start with six when it comes back. Um, Dial H for Hero was extended to 12 issues. Um, Wonder Twins was extended to 12 issues. So they clearly have the ability to, you know, make adjustments if necessary. The one thing, and I think I brought this up last month, uh, or last episode or last month or whatever, the one thing that I'm slightly concerned about is the fact that they keep insisting on putting six issue miniseries or 12 issue maxi series up in the title box, um, on the issues. And once it switches to something else, all those previous issues, which of course they don't care about because they've already been sold and it's already past the time. But any collector who's collecting these series, you've got, you know, for example, the, the Batman who laughs, you've got, Five issues that say six issue miniseries, and then all of a sudden issue six and issue seven suddenly say seven issue miniseries. Uh, I don't, I, I don't, I feel like planning should be a little bit better. There's no reason that Wonder Twins can't come back as a second volume and take a couple months break or whatever. I mean, like, that's not like it's never been heard of. I don't understand what the reason behind that would be other than you just want to continue the story, but how do you really have a plan for six issues and then suddenly decide, you know what? Hey, I'm going to adjust the story that I thought was going to end after six, and I'm now going to do an additional six issues. That just doesn't seem right. But Well, actually, it's fairly common. Um, a television show is usually ordered for 13 episodes, uh, and they talk about what's called the back nine to get them up to a 22-episode season. But they will write often the last episode of the 13 as the finale, and then either if they've already shot it when they get the back order of the nine, um, they'll air it as the last one and insert the nine, or they'll build off of that episode into an, uh, an even bigger conclusion for episode 22. So I think they're, they're very much looking at TV as a, a model for these uh, mini-series or, or maxi-series of 12 issues. And I applaud that because I think TV is a better model for today's market. Um, I just hope that they can match the level of, of thoughtfulness that you see in a TV writer room. And that's where I'm, I'm a bit worried. And that's why I'm worried because let's be honest, even though TV does that, it doesn't always succeed. There are lots of series that get 13 episodes. The 13th or the last couple episodes of that 13 episode, uh, order is really good. And then all of a sudden it feels like they're adding a bunch of stuff that doesn't seem like it's entirely necessary because they need to. Um, that's why a lot of premium shows have gone down in episode counts compared to gone up because there's no reason that they need to produce as many as they, as they were in the past. Um, I don't know. I, I mean, like, let's be honest. If it works, it works. We'll see. Um, nothing specifically that we're covering here on TBU is, is, is one of those series that had gotten extended, but, I'm, I'm all for mini series or maxi series, like 12 issues. I'm all for those because let's be honest, like it gives the writer and the artists who are attached to the series 
a finite story to tell within the confines of a certain number of issues. When you adjust that, that's the issue that I have because then it feels like you're adjusting the story and that might not necessarily be the best thing. So, bless you. Thank you. For a collector who's yes. being a little anal about the numbers on his comic. Not just that, okay? <laughs> Let's, <laughs> it does play into it for some people. Anyway, all right, so that's the solicitations. Like I said, head over to the site if you want more details. All right, so the only other news we've got is on June 22nd, there were new details and announcements for what is now known as the young adult and middle age, middle grade graphic novels because... Um, if we'll, we'll talk about this later on, I have this as a sl- small discussion, but, um, DC Inc. and DC Zoom are no longer being used as the names for the young adult focused and the middle school focused lines because DC is changing all of their imprints, which, like I said, we'll talk about this a little later. But anyway, so basically what ended up happening was a couple weeks back when we talked in the last episode, we talked about some of the new episodes or the new, uh, artists that were attached to some of the series. Well, it turns out those exact same series now have release dates or release months, I should say, not dates. But Gotham High is coming out in February 2020. The Oracle Code is coming out in March 2020. Shadow of the Batgirl is coming out in April 2020. Lost Carnival, a Dick Grayson graphic novel, is coming in May 2020. Now, the one thing I want to point out before I get into some of these other ones, or these other announcements, is that those, all four of the, well, no, three of the four of those issues were all announced last year at Comic-Con. Um, so it, it's roughly just under two years before they will be actually released from the announcement time. So I'm, I'm starting to think that that is more likely we're going to see this more frequently when something gets announced. It's going to be just under about two years before it actually comes out. Initially, when they announced DC Inc. and DC Zoom, it was almost two years from the time they initially announced the first wave of books before books actually started releasing. So um, just be prepared that if you see something, you're like, oh, wow, this is really cool. I can't wait for this. It's going to be just a little bit of time before it happens because they announced these books ahead of time to build up some hype. Because it's meant for the book market, not the comic book market, who is so frequently associated with three-month time frames on most announcements. Or the other aspect of they announce something and then it doesn't come out for ages because they announce it way too soon. So um, these clearly are are being announced in advance because they are, you know, they're moving along and working along, and they have a specific thing. Anyway. Um, there was also Did some... you mention the, the new titles for that line? Oh, I'm about to. Catwoman? Oh, okay. I'm about to. So, uh, there was also some announcements featuring release dates for the titles that would have... The announcements featuring the release dates for the titles that would have formerly fallen under DC Zoom include a mix of ones that were previously announced and brand new ones that were not previously announced. So, uh, the DC Zoom, which is technically the middle uh, middle grade aged books... Our Batman Tales Once Upon a Crime, which is the Derek Friedolfs and Dustin Wen ser- uh, book that is going to be coming out in February 2020. Batman Overdrive, which is by, by Shea Fontana, illustrated by Marcelo DiCiara, uh, is coming out in March 2020. DC Superhero Girls Powerless, written by Amy Wolfram and illustrated by Agnes Garboska, this is coming out in March 2020. And then there's Archimaniacs, which is written by Art Balletzer and Franco and illustrated by Art Balthazar, and that's coming in April 20. So out of those... All those were previously known. I mean, DC Supergirls, while that specific title was not revealed before this, 
DC Supergirls is an ongoing one that just has more and more uh, new releases. The Arkham Maniacs, however, was a new one that they had not previously announced, and that is very much in the style of Tiny Titans um, or the DC Super Pets, um, if you're familiar with that stuff that from... It's been some time, like at least five years ago. So um, there's those. Um, and then in addition to those release dates, there was also a number of new titles announced that are planned for 2020 and 2021. These don't have a ton of information, and none of the titles that they announced are final yet um, because it's it's far out. And as we've seen, some of the titles have, have changed for some of the books that were previously announced. So as of right now... Uh, there is Catwoman Soul Stealer, which is adapted from the Louise Simonson from, adapted by Louise Simonson from Sarah J. Moss's DC Icon Prose novel and will be illustrated by Samantha Dodge. Another book called Victor and Nora, a Mr. Free Story, written by Lauren Miracle and illustrated by Isaac Goodhart, who those two just teamed up for the Catwoman, uh, series that came or the Catwoman book that came out in in May um, then there's the upcoming middle grade titles include and I'm just going to go through the titles themselves Batman and Robin and Howard DC Superhero Girls DC Supervillains which is presumably the sequel to or I should say Dear Supervillains not DC Supervillains Dear Supervillains which is the presumed sequel to Dear Superheroes um, or Dear Justice League was the title um, and then there's Super Sons Book 3, uh, Escape to Landis, which is the third book in that series. And then there's two Teen Titans. One, there's Teen Titans Go to Camp and Teen Titans Go Roll with It. Um, so we have the creative teams on the website. Um, like I said, two of those books are essentially sequels to existing books that have already released or will be released in the near future. Um, so... But there was actually a ton of other stuff that wasn't that was announced that's not part of the Batman universe too. Um, so if you're looking for all of what's coming and you're interested in some of this stuff, uh, we do have a link on the site for you to check out. There's a Swamp Thing one coming. There's Wonder Woman. Um, there's a lot of different stuff. There's a Zatanna one. Um, there's there's a lot a lot of stuff. This is clearly something that's been successful outside of the comic market that DC is continually going to be trying to tap into so expect more of these in the near future but were you saying the I'm zoom really... name is gone or... yeah so we'll we'll get to this in a second but basically <laughs> basically dc inc and dc zoom they're no longer using those names but yes let specifically let's <laughs> react to this and then we'll get into that because well i guess we'll just do that discussion well i'm really sure. excited for the the catwoman adaptation because as I think, I don't remember if I've mentioned on this podcast, but I read the Catwoman novel Soul Stealer and I really liked it. Now, the Catwoman fandom is kind of frustrated with it because it, uh, spoiler, ships Selena Kyle and, um, Luke Fox, Batwing. Um, I'm a big Luke Fox fan. I thought it was really good. I thought it was well written. Uh, I think it'll look really cool as a graphic novel and Louis Simonson's a great talent. So I'm, that's probably my, biggest excitement for the newly announced stuff um the the old stuff i'm still really excited for uh batman tales once upon a crime because i love lil gotham and i think dustin Wen and derek fridolfs do really good work i am most excited about the batman tales by 
Derek Friedelson doesn't win as well, because I also like Light Little Gotham. I'm really looking forward to Archimaniacs, because Art and Franco back on DC stuff is is never a bad thing. Uh, their stuff is great. They created a massive, massive universe of DC Super Pets with the Tiny Titans, lots and lots of characters, and they it almost felt like they had a falling out with DC in some regard, because for the last couple of years, they've been producing their own stuff for their own brand and it's not obviously DC related. So it's good to see that at least this method of getting stuff out is something that had lured them back to uh, DC and that's what, and we're getting more stuff because I'd love to see more stuff from them. Um, their stuff is, if you like little Gotham, you will probably like their style as well. Um, it's a little bit more zanier, um, not as, as serious as little Gotham, but it is, Definitely, like, you know, it looks like kid versions of these characters, and they're really, really cool looking. So, those are the yeah, two. I think it's great that they're back. Um, I personally wish they'd give Sholly Fish uh, one of these titles because they've stuck him on the Scooby Doo teen ups, and he's doing good work over there. But Sholly Fish is a great writer. If they put him on one of these uh, middle grade books, he would kill Well, it's him. funny that you say that because he's actually attached to one of the Teen Titans Go ones. Oh, really? Well, but Teen Titans Go is such a formulaic property that I feel like he wouldn't be able to do his best work. Uh, do not disagree with that, but I don't want to touch Teen Titans Go with a 10-foot pole. So. But he could do such great work, because his, his stuff are the tie-in to the all-new Batman Brave and the Bold cartoon, his stuff um, tying in to... I mean, his crossovers have been really good with Scooby-Doo. I just feel like Scooby-Doo, like Teen Titans Go, is a little too formulaic. Um, his stuff for Future's End was very strong. I mean, he, he has shown He's a quality writer, and if they they allowed him to do some stuff in this middle grade range, he's he's great at making something that challenges, but is still appropriate for all ages. I I just wish they would go for that that name because I think he's a really good talent. Yeah. All right, so I guess without further ado, let's just get into it because I, I was actually going to do this as a TBU raw, and time did not permit it, and we'll just do it here. So basically, the news was a couple weeks back more than a couple weeks, almost a month ago, there's a rumor out there that DC was going to be shuttering Vertigo Comics. Uh, for those of you who are unaware, Vertigo Comics was an imprint that DC created in the late 80s, early 90s, that basically allowed creators to bring ideas uh, to DC and get them published. They were creator-owned series. Uh, prominent examples would include American Vampire, which was the series that got Scott Snyder into DC Comics. Um, there was a number of other things. Sandman, uh, was one that, uh, Neil Gaiman had done. Um, there's a lot of properties out there that have been adapted. Um, and the idea was basically it was meant for more mature audiences, but also meant in a way that, um, allow the creators a little bit more freedom. It didn't, for the most part, it didn't necessarily have to do with the DC universe. A lot of the original stuff had nothing to do with the DC universe. Um, and then a lot of the stuff that was more adult themed swamp thing was in vertigo for a little while. Constantine was at vertigo. They had Lucifer, all the Neil Gaiman stuff that had, uh, had, had relaunched last year with the Lucifer house of dreams, uh, the dreaming, all that stuff, was original that was all stuff that was part of vertigo back in the day 
anyway, there was a rumor that Vertigo was going to shutter, and to be honest, Vertigo was not really releasing a whole lot of stuff for a really long time. And just last year at Comic-Con, they had kind of like a resurgence. They said, well, we're going to do something for like the 30th anniversary of Vertigo. We're going to release like a new series or, new, you know, the first issue of a new series every month for like the next six months. And some of those series have continued to come out and some of them have ended. And some of them didn't actually end up happening because the content matter was a little bit too much for DC, I guess, to wrap their heads around, even though they originally approved the projects in the first place. Anyway, um, to, to basically get to the gist of it, it was announced that, so, so this is on top of obviously the confusion out there with DC Black Label. Originally, when DC Black Label was announced, they said, oh, this is a mature imprint. And then they said, wait, no, it's not a mature imprint. It's an imprint that features creator-focused stuff where it's not necessarily mature. And it was very confusing because then, of course, the very first issue of DC Black Label that comes out, which is Batman Damn number one, is the whole Bat-Pole uh, shenanigans and... That, of course, made DC Black Label seem to be like it was going to be very more mature. But then there's projects that were in the pipeline for DC Black Label that had nothing to do with mature, like the um, Frank Miller, Carrie Kelly series that he's talked about, or the Frank Miller Superman Year One, which has just released the first issue and while there are some things in there that are a little bit more mature they're like borderline mature in the sense of like nothing actually happens things are talked about but i don't classify it's them. all very pg-13 I would yeah say. i would say pg-13 so i mean like it's not really like super mature but then of course then on the other side of it then you've got books you've got dc inc and dc zoom which are geared towards very specific audiences DC Inc. is more of the young adult. DC Zoom is more of the middle grade, uh, aged children's uh, kind of imprint. Then you've got, obviously, other imprints that are out there, like Jinx World and Young Animal and um, Wonder Comics. And they, they, they keep coming up with new ones. There was a bunch of new imprints that were just announced in the last couple months. Well, actually, I take that back. The, the imprints that they did announce were stuff that was before, was after this whole announcement. But anyway, there's a lot of confusion because then you had a book like, uh, the Catwoman, uh, Tale of the Moon series, or the book that came out in May, which had some very, it was no, there was no question about it. It was very young adult themes, but there was themes in the book that rose some eyes when, they were discussed. Let's just put it that way. Uh, between uh, a cat being killed and an abusive uh, uh, situation with a family, there was some stuff that kind of raised some eyes. So basically what ended up... And self-harm and uh, a bunch of other... Yes. Yeah, exactly. So there was a lot of things that have been happening within the, the, the I guess, the corporate side of DC reacting to some of the stuff that's been happening where the stuff is being marketed a specific way and of course it's not being i guess it could potentially be falling into the wrong hands batman damned was a huge controversy in and of itself which created massive feed you know massive criticism from retailers because the books weren't even sealed like with uh you know with plastic or anything like that so anybody who could have just walked in and and opened up the book and saw it and that raised some concerns so anyway so all of this stuff has been happening and DC basically had announced that they are going away with all of these imprints that we've seen. DC Inc., DC Zoom, 
um, Vertigo, they're all going away. And basically everything is now going to be just DC Comics. However, there will be three categories of books that will, uh, th- that stuff will fall in. Um, if you remember back during the New 52, DC introduced their own rating scale. So there was, um, like a young, you know, young for everyone type rating. There was a teen, teen plus. There was a mature rating. All of those ratings are also going away too. The, everything will now be categorized into three categories. One category will be basically DC Kids, which is all the middle grade stuff. And that will also include like the Scooby-Doo, the Teen Titans Go stuff that's published under DC Comics currently. That stuff will, and the Looney Tunes that will be under that specific series or under that specific, I guess, rating. Then there will be just... Are Wonder Comics going to be part of that too? No. My understanding is that Wonder Comics will be part of normal DC Comics. My understanding is the only stuff that will be part of the DC Kids line is going to be what used to be DC Zoom and all of the kid-friendly titles that were already coming out. I don't think there's anything else outside of that that's going to be part. Then there will be DC Comics, which will be just the, you know, kind of like the mid-range one, which will include all of what was, well, most of what was DC Inc., and it will also include the majority, the vast majority of everything that's normally published by DC Comics, like all the superhero stuff, Wonder Comics, Young Animal. Uh, I, I say Young Animal, but Young Animal is not actually pr- still producing them. Just that would be where that would fall. Um, all that stuff. Then you've got DC Black Label, which will be specifically used as the mature area. So you'll see stuff that is specifically for a mature audience. I would assume rated R and above, um, but it'll be interesting to see what actually comes of that. Because let's be honest, they rolled out DC Black Label as this new imprint, and there was so much confusion of what it was. Was it an Elseworlds? Was it this? Was it that? What is it? You've got creators saying, oh, this is a Black Label title, and then it gets announced and it's not a Black Label title. You've got creators or you've got people saying black label is just stuff that's out of continuity, but then you've got creators saying, no, this is, this might be black label, but it is in continuity. There's a lot of confusion with that. So it's specifically going to be mature. And I'm guessing this is the books that you're going to see probably a couple swears in that they'll get thrown there instead of being, you know, within the normal range of comics. But you also see all of these creator series is the creator series that we've seen from Vertigo that deal with more adult stuff, but basically nothing will be differentiated outside of these three rating systems. So that's what... So wait, where's the DC Inc. stuff, the teenage stuff? Is that going to be DC Comics? Yep, that'll be DC Comics. And there'll be absolutely no way to differentiate between stuff that's in continuity and out of continuity if you're someone at the comic shop. But I mean... I understand from DC's perspective why they're tr- what the, why they're trying to do this. They're trying to do this because they're trying to a- adhere to the book market. They see this as the future of their industry and, and their publishing, uh, their success. Honestly, they need the book market to be successful. So by branding the stuff to be either DC Kids, DC Comics, or DC Black Label, it gives the book market a very specific range to say, okay, we can put these DC Kids books in this section of our store. We need to put our DC Black Black Label stuff in this section of the store. DC Comics can be, you know, in the general area of the store. Like, I understand the reason why they're doing this because they see the book market as a big 
area that they need to get into, and I don't fault them for this. But at the same time, they are also at the same time going back to those comic retailers who have sold the products for so much time and saying, hey, we made these specific imprints so that we could differentiate all these different things and keep things grouped together, and yeah, it's not happening anymore. Um, to be fair, though, DC did say that like Jinx World, Wonder Comics... Those type of imprints will still exist and still have banners that will appear on the comics, but they just, they're, they will be part of DC Comics instead of, you know, well, Jinx World might be part of the mature line. I don't know. I don't read Jinx World stuff. I just assume it's not, you know. At least yeah. some of them will be mature. Let's just say yeah. that. I've read most Does of them. Does that mean they're going to make black label? Like, are they just going to throw stuff in to make it mature for the sake of having that's more a good that question. swears? Because that's obnoxious when people do that. That is an excellent question. And I think the thing is, I think for the most part, everything that we typically – like, everything we review on the site on a normal basis that comes out monthly is going to be part of the normal DC comic line, that middle range. The black label stuff is going to be like the stuff that DC has chose to release bi-monthly. Um, and like, I just feel like every once in a while, we're probably going to see somebody naked in it. Um, or we're going to see, you know, some swears or it's just, there's going to be thematical elements that are part of it that will have more mature, that will skew more mature. And that's what, where that stuff's going to be. But like, to be honest, like, I can't honestly think of that much. I mean, like, let's be honest. They put DC Black Label. They slapped that that logo on so many different series over the past 12 months. And I don't really understand why they did that, only to now, a less than a year later, decide we're going to change that all up. Because it seems like they should have thought about that beforehand, but whatever. Well, um, I have a lot of thoughts about all of this. Um, I think that the DC Kids is a great idea. I think... For me, Zoom and Ink was... I could never keep them straight in my head which was which. So I think DC Kids is a great branding choice um, and putting everything else in the DC Comics brand. While I wish they would differentiate from continuity and out of continuity, um, that helps me keep it straight in my head. Black Label really frustrates me. This feels like the laziest way they could go with Black Label. They're basically just slapping Black Label on Vertigo. Um Originally, back when Black Label first launched, we had a long discussion where I was arguing that my understanding of Black Label is it should be creator-focused, it doesn't have to be mature, that's like the Carrie Kelly thing, or Superman Year One, still within the teen, teen plus range, um, doesn't have to, as Steph says, just throw in stuff to increase the rating, which I always, I hate that, I think is uh, really cynical. Um, but this, this is, frustrating. I don't have any attachment to the Vertigo brand. I think Sandman's a masterpiece, but um, most of the other Vertigo stuff doesn't appeal to me. Um, and I think that having a creator-focused brand, where you really put your A-list creators, you give them lots of time, you have um, lots of experimental stuff, like the different sizes of the books, I think that was a good idea. I think making it the mature line is lazy. I think it's pretty cynical. Um, and I'm, I'm disappointed that we're going away from a more creative focus to a more, um, marketing slash rating focus. Now, I understand that that's what they want to do to stay alive financially, but I gotta say, this kind of stuff really doesn't matter for the Amazon book market or the online book market. It only matters for, um, 
Honestly, it's Barnes & Noble. There are no more big box stores other than Barnes & Libraries. Libraries is the only other market outside of Barnes & Nobles or like the, you know, like the brick and mortar stores because libraries do order a lot of stuff. That's true, but libraries aren't going to um keep I'm, the industry I'm, alive. I I, I I completely understand. I I'm not I'm not going to debate that libraries are not going to prop the industry up because let's be honest, I've gone to the library with my kids, but I don't go nearly as much as I went when I was a kid. So I mean, like libraries are a whole different thing, and there's lots of libraries now that offer online. You know, they actually offer e-readers for you to rent, so you can read hundreds of books anytime you want. So, I, I don't. I'm not debating that, but I. The reason I bring up libraries is because specifically some of the conventions that DC has been attending are like library conventions. Yeah, the ALA and other things, and I think yeah. that's a great move. I mean, that's definitely how you get younger readers in. Is you know, they don't have a lot of money. They go to the school library. They go to their public library, and they pick up a DC comic. That's a great idea. Um, I think they need to... I, I think that simplifying is a good choice. I think that simplifying and making Black Label this sort of lazy, cynical marketing thing is frustrating to me. I think not allowing sort of an alternate universe that Zoom was... Or, no, sorry, Inc. Again, like I said, I, I don't blame them for simplifying. I can't remember which is which. But that sort of teen out of continuity, I think that was a valuable label if they could have made it more memorable. Um, but So I think there's positives and negatives. I'm least happy with the Black Label decision. I'm most happy with the DC Kids decision. Yeah, and I don't disagree. I just, I, like you said, I just really hope that Black Label doesn't find the necessity to say, hey, this is on the border. Let's just push it over by adding a couple of things. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm just looking at what they're currently publishing. Like, last night, the first issue came out. Nothing about that makes me think that it would fall into the new DC Black Label category. Sure, is it up there? Is it, you know, more like, you know, 16 plus, like teen plus, like they used to have? Sure, it is. But I don't think it's. There's really no real swears. There's no nudity. It's it's all fantasy stuff. So I mean, it's basically the same level as Dark Knight Returns, which is yeah. gritty, but it's not like in your face, you know, sort of edge lord stuff. Yeah. So that's basically the gist. Um, so if you were hoping to, so any of those issues, any of the books that have come out in just the past couple of months that have said DC Inc. and DC Zoom, those will be the only ones that will have those names on them. Pick um, them up now, collectors. Yeah. <laughs> or or go get all those reprinted, uh, you know, those trade paperbacks that have been reprinted a million times that they've reprinted yet again, but with DC Black Label on it, because chances are they're not all going to stay within that, within that. Uh, that label is either. So anyway, I predict now we're going to have like DC perennials in the next year or something like that. Just like another round of reprints. It'll happen. I'm sure. All right. So with that, that is actually all of the news we have from the past two weeks. Uh, with that being said, we're going to dive straight into our comic book reviews. And the first one we have is Batman. Batman number 73, written by Tom King, art by uh, Mikkel Janin, colored by Jordi Belair. The story opens with Thomas Wayne Batman, from the Flashpoint universe, tying an unconscious Bruce Wayne to a horse as he sings Home on the Range. Thomas then sets off across the desert, with Wayne tied 
to his saddle as he drags a coffin across the sand. Thomas sits at a campfire with an unconscious Bruce, and in the morning, Thomas wakes to find one of Ra's al Ghul's elite guard, the Death in the Desert, standing over him. The group attacks and Thomas fights them off, still singing Home on the Range. After a day of riding through the desert, Bruce awakens at the campfire, disoriented. Thomas blocks Bruce's attempt to hit him while reminding him about old lessons he taught him about fear when he was a boy, and Thomas and his son hug. As Thomas readies their horse, he explains to Bruce that he is still under the influence of drugs. This is due to back surgery after the injuries inflicted by Bane during the previous issue, and explains his confusion will pass. The next night at the fire, Bruce asks his father why he is helping Bruce, Bane. Thomas asks Bruce if he wants to hit him, and when Bruce responds, Thomas only says, good. When Bruce wakes in the morning, Thomas is standing over another group of fallen members of Ra's al Ghul's death squad. As they travel through the desert, Bruce begins to realize that Ra's al Ghul has sent the guards to stop them from using the Nain Pit, uh, another Lazarus pit that can revive the dead, and that the body in the coffin they are dragging is Bruce's mother Martha. Bruce then puts on his cowl from one of the saddlebags. He asks what his vow was worth and where it has led him. As the issue ends, Thomas responds that he's proud of his son and that it's time to end his son's pain. So, um, I have two questions for this issue. This was originally going to be one of the first issues of this arc, but instead is the second to last issue. Um, what are your thoughts on why you think Tom King pushed this back to be almost the conclusion rather than the opening of the arc? I have no idea. I thought it was stupid. To clarify, are you saying you thought the issue was stupid or pushing it back was stupid? Pushing it back was stupid. I mean, I'll elaborate, but I'll let Steph go first. I was just going to say, I mean, it kept the tension up, definitely. I mean, we spent so much time thinking about why is Thomas doing this? Who is this Thomas exactly? We still don't know that for sure. Um, what's his motivation? I don't know. I think I'd, I'd say keeping us in the dark is a little more fun, but that's looking at it through not rose-colored glasses. What are they called? That's kind of like hindsight 2020. Back, you know, a month ago, I wouldn't have said that. <laughs> yeah, so here's the thing. Um, this issue still should have been at the, you know, a couple issues back. Um, once Bruce woke up from his nightmares, it would actually make perfect sense that Bruce wakes up from his nightmares and he's groggy and doesn't make any, and he's not knowing what's going on and Thomas Wayne, Batman, um, is carrying him through the desert because, as we know from the before the Nightmares arc started, Thomas Wayne was the one who showed up and Alfred was like, no, he's here. And then he gets drugged and then he starts experiencing the Nightmares. So that would make perfect sense. The only part of this that I feel like has changed is that explanation of, oh, you're drugged. You're, dro you're groggy because you had surgery because Bane beat you up last issue. That's the only change I think that was that actually happened from this issue. I read this issue and here's the thing. Obviously I'm reading this with like rose colored glasses in the sense of I know that this was supposed to be number 70, not number 73. Um, 
I know that that's where it was supposed to be because it was originally solicited there. The cover was originally solicited for there too. And then they shifted things around. Why they shifted it? I, I have no idea. It makes no sense how we went from Bane beating up Batman and beating the crap out of him last issue to now Thomas has decided I'm going to take you out to the desert with your dead mother. That's what we're going to do now. I mean, like, to be fair, I don't understand why we, w- we went from that to this. How do, then how do we get back to, I mean, like, obviously the next issue could go in a completely different direction. Also, conveniently, 74 has been delayed. It's not coming out in two weeks from this issue. It's coming out in an additional week. So there's obviously been some last minute changes to the things because this is one of the few times that Batman has actually been late when it releases. So, I'm not real sure why this needed to happen. I don't really know how this is setting things up for 75, which is literally just right around the corner. And this doesn't do that. This doesn't set things up. If anything, it's setting up a different, a different plot line, you know, like, okay, so is Thomas Wayne really doing all of this? And was he really working with Bane so that he could bring Martha back to life? What? How does that make any sense? What what does Bane have to do with any of this? I mean, like, Thomas Wayne could have just showed up and done this to Bruce without having Bane involved at all. Like, I don't understand the reason behind this, and I don't understand the movement of it. Um, the only explanation is that Tom King really wanted Mikkel Janin to draw this, and maybe Janin was behind. I don't know, but the last two issues that we had, Janin was doing half the issues on those, So I don't really understand why everything got shifted. And I think it was a dumb idea to shift it because it doesn't, it just doesn't work. Like, and I know, and like I said, part of this is because I know that this was supposed to be a a different issue. It wasn't, this was not the issue number that it was supposed to be. It was supposed to be number 70. And if I didn't know that, if I was walking in the comic comic store and I was picking up the issue and thinking, okay, am I reading this? Maybe I'd be looking at it differently, but quite honestly, that's not how I'm looking at it. I just keep thinking this would have fit actually and made more sense if it was, if it took place over here instead of over here, then it would have, you know, it would have worked a little bit better. I feel like this actually makes the last two issues, which we didn't necessarily think were bad, um, I think that this makes the last two issues less coherent because we came out of the nightmares with no real like conclusion and it just kind of ended and it was there. And then we're like, so that's it. Okay. Moving on. We're just moving straight on. There was no sort of like gradual lead up to wrap up anything that happened prior to the nightmares arc. Nothing coming out of the nightmares arc. It was just, okay, we're going right back into the stories. If the nightmares arc made no difference, if it happened or not. And it just, everything just doesn't work. I don't understand the reason behind this. And my only thought is that maybe it could get adjusted in the future for, I mean, let's be honest. They, they could have just, the simplest solution would have been just, if they needed to move it for whatever reason, they, in, this issue needed to be 73 because of delays with the art or whatever. They could have just said previously, you know, taking place, you know, an editor's note that said this takes place after, after 69, but before 70 so that you could just enter it in there. And then when they collect it in trade, they could just collect it the correct way. I don't know, but like the way it is here, uh, it's just, it's upsetting. I was really frustrated because like 
the art was amazing. The story was actually good. The reveal that it was Martha in the coffin was kind of like out of left field. I didn't really know that it was going to be her. Everything worked really well about this issue. It just the the problem with the issue is that it just I know it's not supposed to be here. So, well, that didn't bother me because I wasn't paying attention to that kind of thing. Yeah. So, um, but do you think that the move the shifting thing around? I mean, wouldn't that possibly be because King's going to be off the book soon? Do you think that had anything it. to I do with it. it? No, I doubt it because I think the thing is like this issue was solicited as number seventy, which would have came out in. Uh, May, the beginning of May, uh, is when it was supposed to, this issue should have came out. And there was nothing that would have adjusted anything having to do with King coming off the book with 85, which isn't happening till January. So, I mean, like, honestly, if it is because he's coming off the title, that's odd because he gave an interview after this issue would have released stating that he was still planning on doing 100 issues so there was mm. I, I don't think there's a connection with that I would actually I would disagree we know King's been doing a lot of rejiggering because we've had these delays this is not the first time Batman's been delayed um, and the the fact that they're changing the entire release format for his story with the Batman Catwoman series I think it indicates there is a certain amount of restructuring of the story, I think there's a real chance that we would not have seen the Phantasm um, if it had been in the pages of the main uh, Batman title. I think he probably would have had the resolution in 100 be a conflict between Batman, Catwoman, and Bane. And now, I am 100% certain that Batman 85 will be Bane's defeat, and Batman, Catwoman will continue with the same themes and the same character development with Batman and Catwoman, but Bane's not going to be the main villain. I think Phantasm and something else deeper will probably be the main conflict of that book. So my argument for why all this stuff is changing is because Kim's um, shifted a bunch of stuff forward, um, particularly last issue where you have Thomas giving the summary of Bane's plan. So usually when Tom King gives the summary of the plan, that's an indication that we're in the third act, the final climax. Um, whereas if he was going to 100, he probably wouldn't have done that till around 85. Since he's um, doing his climax for the Bane plot in 85, he had to push that forward. So that's why I think the, uh, the extra um, three issues were added, and this is um, the penultimate issue rather than the first issue. I really, really like honestly, the last year of Batman, um, starting with, um, uh, basically starting after the wedding. Um, but you know, you had, uh, the tyrant wing, which is where it's revealed that flashpoint Batman is, uh, manipulating penguin and he attacks Alfred. And then we go straight into the nightmares. I would disagree with Dustin that, uh, the nightmares have made no difference. Um, because that was a real breakthrough in terms of Batman's understanding of why number 50 happened in terms of the emotions between him and Catwoman. And I think that will be really essential when Catwoman shows up in number 75. I think that they're going to have to talk about it. I think that's why we have the interlude drawn by Clay Mann. Um, and I think we just have to be a bit patient because we know Tom King's a slow burn writer. Is that always the most satisfying on an individual issue basis? No, but I'm enjoying what he's doing in each of these issues um, enough that I'm okay deferring the explanation for it. Um, so I don't have answers for what Nightmare's point was long term, 
but I feel like I see where it will fit into the overall arc. So the thing is, I I want to make it clear, like I understand that Tom King is a slow burn writer, and I don't necessarily have a problem with that when I can at least see the light at the end of the tunnel. And I'm not seeing I mean, like, right now we know what the end is because of how things are already announced and things like that. But, like, for the most part, I'm concerned because because this this rejiggering that we've seen happening, it comes across as the plan was not laid out as well as it should have been. And that concerns me because while I understand that his intent was 100 issues, I understand that he was not planning on taking off two issues for the button, not taking off two issues for the the Gotham Girl story that Joshua Williamson wrote. I understand that, but at the same time, there's there's a problem with the overall plan when you have like these massive, massive story arcs that have to basically have hiccups in the middle of them because it just doesn't work. At least for War of Jokes and Riddles, while I don't really like that story arc that much at all, and honestly, outside of just it means a, a, a story to take up space that was an excuse for Bruce to say maybe Catwoman shouldn't be with me because this happened, but then nothing actually really came of it because she was like, oh, it's okay. No no problem. You just told me a story that took 12 issues and it's no big deal. Um, that all happened. And the whole, the whole thing was, it was, it, there was, there had to be those interlude issues in there with the Kite Man issues, which I enjoyed the Kite Man issues. There was elements of War of Joke and Riddles that I enjoyed, but the problem is like, as this overall story arc, it just, uh, it's, it's, it's becoming frustrating because it's like he has a specific idea that he wants to accomplish, but something's preventing him from actually accomplishing it, whether it be his insistence that he needs to have the same artist do the entire story arc. And he then in, is, is forced to have an interlude at some point to have the artist be able to actually produce all the issues or, or something outside of that. Like, uh, you know, he has to take time off. And then of course there's randomly in the middle of an arc, there's something happening that has nothing to do with the arc. That's a problem. Like I just, that's, those are things that like as a writer who you are super dead set on making this massive, huge, long burn story. It just, you can't have stuff like that happen. I'm sorry. It's just like, I understand that stuff happens in your personal life. You got to take care of it. Things happen, things change, but he consistently has had these weird things occur within his long run. And then of course we're end up getting these weird points where it's like, well, what was, why, why did this happen? We didn't even address any of this. What was the point of the last eight issues? Do we even know what the point was? Will we ever know what the point was? You know, Gotham Girl, her whole story and like that happening. And then all of a sudden it's another writer who actually like continues her story after he doesn't touch the character for like almost 50 issues. I mean, like, it's just one of those things where it's, I have no problem with slow burn. Let's be honest. Scott Snyder has done plenty of really long story arcs and... That's not entirely true. You, uh, you were kind of. Oh, I, no, no, no. I'm going to say, like, the thing is, like, it, it just depends. Like, Court of Owls, I enjoyed. The, uh, the death of the family was not, 
I did not like the entire concept behind what he was trying to accomplish there, but that wasn't really that long. But then you look at Zero Year, I despise Zero Year because it just didn't feel like we were going anywhere or doing anything. It just was like, how many stories can we tell within this specific time frame? And I don't want that to happen. If you're going to tell a long story, make it have a meaning and a purpose to be there. Zero Year just felt like DC told Snyder, hey, why don't you do an origin story for Bruce? And he was like, well, we already have one of those. Okay, well, then do a zero-year story where it's like after he just became Batman because that's different. And like that's what he did. And like while I don't well, I don't fault Snyder necessarily, he still did the job. And he, I didn't like his characterization of Riddler at all. And I thought the entire idea and concept of Gotham being completely overrun um, when Batman was first starting, but we've never heard about any of this at any other point in time was ridiculous. But the thing is, like, it just comes down to if you want to do a slow, slow burn story, th- there's no problem, but you got to give us hints. You know, I, there's plenty of TV series that I watch that have a really long, they're really long form story. Like you can watch a season. You're like, wow, there's really a lot more to talk about that we didn't address. And now I got to wait in the sense of like, in the case of like Netflix, I got to wait maybe two years before the next season, because I want to know what happens. And Netflix is very liberal with how often they produce seasons for shows. There's no problem with that because I know that it's eventually coming. This, I just don't feel like anything's coming. Like, I, and I say this all knowing that I am being extremely negative about this, even though I really did like this issue as a standalone issue, just outside of the, the, the entire confines of the issues before and what's coming after it. This issue was really good. The art was amazing. The story was actually really good. It's just that, you know, outside of the, the mention of the reason why he was, you know, feeling groggy, it, it works perfectly. I really enjoyed the issue. I just am frustrated about the entire idea of where it's placed. The thing that I'm most upset about is the fact that there's just no editor like reining Tom King in and say, hey, listen, I understand that you want the same artist to do this entire thing, but we got to get this out and we got to get this moving and we got to actually move the story along. I understand that you want to do 100 issues, but then do 100 issues and do it in a different way or I don't know. I just feel like the editor's just giving too much rain. And I felt like this happened to Scott Snyder sometimes too. There was just too much rain given to them. And I don't think that should be the case. That's what an editor, that's what an editor's for is to sit there and say, we need to make this make sense. I understand that, you know, you want to have this happen a specific way, but we got to make this make sense for the reader. And that's what an editor's job is. And this just, feels like, hey, how can we make this work for whoever wants to be in charge of the book? And Tom King is clearly the one who's in charge of the book. So, Well, um, just in case uh, the (laughs) our intrepid trollish listeners who think we're always negative give us comments, uh, I'm going to push back, of course, because I think that all of it is making sense. Um, uh, I think that Almost everything that's happened so far, I either I think I see where it's going, and if Tom King and DC are going in a completely different direction, then of course I'm going to be completely wrong. But at this point, I feel very strongly. I know where he's going. I uh, I'm enjoying each issue on the way that is happening, both as its own issue and as a piece of the larger story. Um, I think it's really interesting that you bring up War of Jokes and Riddles because. Um, I know I've brought this up before, 
uh, Tom King wanted to do that with Mitch Jarrods instead of Mr. Miracle. So Mr. Miracle was actually the second choice. Uh, and DC Editorial told him he had to put it in the main title. So the reason it feels like it's shoehorned in is because it was, it was shoehorned yeah. in. Um, and I don't fault Tom King for that. That was actually Editorial's problem. And I think Tom King's gotten a lot better at pushing back on that kind of thing. Now, some of the things he's pushed back and done have made a lot of fans angry, Nightmares being a big one. I love Nightmares. I think that there were a couple of weak spots, but as a whole, I think is a deeply powerful emotional arc. It really gets into where Batman is since the wedding for the first time since he's been so silent in the uh, 10... 10 issues leading into it. And I think that come the reunion between Batman and Catwoman, we really needed to see that internal headspace of where Bruce is so that the reunion means something more than just, you know, they see each other and they kiss or whatever. Um, I think that the, that the artist thing is a problem. Um, I liked what King was doing with the three issue arcs so that we could get the story moving. We get a bit more, uh, resolution in each of our issues um, and it and it was a consistent artist um, that clearly isn't something King wants to do at this point I think the, the pieces of the story he wants to tell are too big for three issues so he's pushing for these longer arcs but that means that when Tony Daniel wasn't available because he was doing other projects um, that meant he had to delay for a really long time so he got the whole Nightmares arc planned out uh, and then of course he had the TV stuff that's going on and he's just been uh, tap to write a film. Um, so I think if you are enjoying it, it's going to look a lot better than if you are not quite as deeply invested. I know, Dustin, you are mostly enjoying it, but you think, uh, and I think there's a lot of justification, you think that there is a lack of communication between King, the editors, and the other writers. And that is 100% true. No one is paying attention to what Tom King is doing in the other titles. Um the fact that City of Bane is the first time any other title is actually going to touch what, what Tom King is doing is a little frustrating. But, I mean, as someone who likes the different flavors being available, I love the Tom King flavor. Other people like the Tomasi flavor. Other people like the Tom Taylor flavor and Disease. Other people like the, um, you know, the Brian Azzarello flavor in Batman Damned. There's a lot of different Batman flavors available, and even though the Tom King flavor is the most commonly available because it's a bi-month uh, bi-weekly title um you can get other flavors of batman right now and um that's the way i approach it because i have never enjoyed all of the batman flavors um and so it's really it's really enjoyable for me to have a flavor i enjoy as much as i enjoy tom king's run what was your question <laughs> well the what original think question of the was placement? what do you think of the fact that this was a delayed issue. Oh. <laughs> Which I think we beat that. We beat that horse, yeah. So my second question hopefully will be a little shorter, but I don't know. It's kind of a thematic one. Um, we had some great stuff with fathers in um, the last Tony Daniel arc, uh, Beasts of Burdens, with KG Beast and his father. And you saw Thomas Wayne reading Tom, uh, young Bruce Wayne a story. We're seeing... Um, Flashpoint Batman, who's a lot closer to KG Beast's father than the original Thomas Wayne, because he's become a killer, he's had to kill his own wife, he became the Joker, he watched his son die. What do you think about where Tom King is going with this father-son relationship? 
Um, I personally think that there's no way that Flashpoint Batman will survive the whole run, because I think if any version of Batman's father is alive in the main universe, he his vow doesn't make any sense. So I think Flashpoint Batman is going to die or go back to his universe or something. But what do you guys think about the way that Tom King is using this father-son relationship, especially in light of uh, Beast of Burton? Well, uh, um, well, I would say that you're right. There's really no way that this ends without him either dying or without him. Maybe he sacrifices himself to help Bruce and he sacrifices like Bane. Bane kills him or something because he betrays Bane. I don't know. But I, I definitely agree. There's no way that this issue, there's no way that this arc ends with him surviving it. I, I, it's possible that he goes back to his universe, but honestly, we still don't know how he got to our universe in the first place. So I don't know. I honestly feel like he's just going to die, um, at some point and he'll probably realize that siding with Bane was not the most ideal situation because Batman shows that he can be happy with Catwoman and all this manipulation was for nothing. And then Thomas realizes what happens, gets in a fight with Bane and Bane ends up killing Thomas. That's most likely what's what, what will happen. Um, that being said, I don't know what the direction. Uh, see, the thing is like, as far as the father son element, this is really like the first opportunity we've really seen any of that. We see this massive monologue by Thomas to Bruce in this issue. And this is the, really the first time we've seen them interact because we thought we were getting it before well, nightmares. Oh yeah. Since the button. But I mean, like we, we thought we were going to get something, you know, the explanation of why he was siding with Bane um, after the nightmares. This is kind of it, but not really it or not really fully there yet. So I would say that like, I'm sure there's, he's going to be around for a little while. I'm also slightly concerned because this is clearly leading a, into a direction, but we only have one issue before we get to 75, which is the beginning of City of Bane. I'm not really sure that this could all get resolved or at least partially resolved before 75 kicks off, which they've advertised as this massive beginning of City of Bane. So I'm, I'm interested in seeing what happens, but I'm not really feeling like there's enough time to like really let this father-son relationship flourish into anything more than Thomas realizes that Bane has uh, been manipulating him and he gets pissed about it and then goes after Bane himself. So that's where I'm at. I'm going to contradict everything you just said. <laughs> so It seems to be the, the theme of the episode, so why not? I so, mean, if we all thought the same thing, why would we need three of us? I just and, – and this is actually going to go against something uh, Ian said last week too because I think I, I kind of mentioned it and he kind of brushed it off as, as not really what I, was, I don't know, whatever. I, I'm not 100% sure this is Flashpoint Batman. I mean this cannot be Flashpoint Batman as we know him. Like, he can't exist. Like, who is this guy? And so if they're taking this Martha, which, again, we don't know if this is Flashpoint Batman, then who is this Martha? Is this his Martha? Is this Bruce's Martha? Is this Earth 47 Martha? We don't know. And and so I'm just not convinced that it's, it is actually Flashpoint Batman. Because if they're going to resurrect Martha, then, I don't know, why can't this be a resurrected, gone nuts Thomas Wayne, who became Batman when he found out Bruce was Batman? I don't know. I mean, and let's then, be honest, and though, then, if, it, if it ended up being some other 
Thomas Wayne that wasn't the Flashpoint Thomas Wayne, I feel like that would be... Uh, that contradicts everything in the button. It wouldn't make yeah, any sense. Yeah, it does. And it, 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 it makes it seem like you're using... I mean, everything that we've seen makes it seem like it's the Thomas Wayne we saw on the button. But if it's not, it's kind of like a... I mean, it would definitely be a swerve. But I don't think it'd be a good swerve. No, I think no, it would be like, well, we've been misleading you to believe that it's the same guy all this time, but we, but it's not. Unless that Flashpoint Batman wasn't Flashpoint Batman that had something to do with Doctor Manhattan, which we know it kind of did, even although that might have been brushed. Although under we don't know what it is either. Well, no, he was at the very end of the button. But no, I know, but I'm saying we don't know how. That's true. Well, he could have just walked by and screwed everything up. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> of course, that's the horrible explanation it is. for anything dealing with. But that. my thing is, so remember, they were saying that that King was talking to the higher ups about making a change to Batman's character that has never been done before, and we just assumed it was the wedding. But what if it is his parents coming back? Like at this point, Batman has lived his whole life with this vow. I don't think his parents actually coming back to life would change that because I feel like at this point it's his way of life. This is who he is. And I don't know if, if his parents being alive would necessarily like it might alter it a little bit, but at this point his belief system is I must protect my city. I don't think you can just switch that off because your parents are alive. Like, why would his his care for his city diminish because his parents are there? I I disagree. I would I would agree with you that Batman's care for his city won't diminish, but I think that he wouldn't be Batman because if his parents are alive, that means his connection to the past and his trajectory f- to the future are are radically different. Like, the the big thing about Batman is he's lost his past because his parents are dead. And he builds his future with the Bat family. And I, I, I don't remember exactly how much I've articulated, but I firmly believe that Batman without Robin, without Batgirl, without... Spoiler, of course. Um, is a crazy man in a rat costume. Batman, with his family, is a man who's building a new version of what he's lost. He's inspired people to make the world better. And if he has what he lost in some way, I don't see him being Batman. I see him being philanthropist Bruce. Um, which is why I think Batman's going to, uh, Flashpoint Batman's going to die. I just don't see Batman being Batman with his past altered that radically. Um, so, so that would be my response to the idea that um, Martha and and Flashpoint Batman being around wouldn't affect Batman. I really think we'd see a philanthropist. I think he'd become he'd make Bruce Wayne his main identity again. Um, I obviously I think it's not going to succeed, um, but I think Thomas Wayne is. Like all Batman, slightly crazy. Uh, he's d- dedicated to putting on a bat to fight crime, um, and so some there is a, a crazy sort of way that it makes sense that he wants to bring back some version of his wife. So even if she's not with him, I can't understand what he's become. She'll at least be alive and happy because it wasn't right that she died. I mean that is really true. I think that both Thomas and Bruce in their Batman personas are driven by the fact that it wasn't right 
It was a great injustice. It was a great insane pain that he couldn't make sense of without doing something crazy himself. Uh, so I think that's why he's um, Thomas has chosen to try and resurrect Martha. In terms of um, how Thomas is in the universe, honestly, with Skeets, I, that's always been my assumption, is that Skeets brought him. Uh, I don't see any real problem with that. If they just mention, Skeets brought me from the pocket universe, I'll be perfectly happy. I don't need to push further. Uh, I would like a little mention like that, and I expect Tom King will do something like that, because we know that uh, issue number 76, which is... No, sorry, issue number 77, which has... Uh, Flashpoint Batman and Gotham Girl as sort of dark Batman and Robin in the city of Bane on the cover. I expect we're going to see something like that. We're going to get some more backstory, going to get some more um, motivation. But uh, I'm, I currently just assume it's Keats and I don't have a problem with it. Time paradox. It is a problem. It's not, though. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, but that's all my questions. Uh, Why don't we get to Ray? All right, so like I said, I, I know it sounds like I'm extremely negative when it comes to this issue, but I really did enjoy the issue. If you take out just that little blurb about it relating to the last issue, I think it was actually a really, really good issue. And it would have been way better if it was as number 70. But that being said, I'm going to give it four out of five. Yeah, I was going to say four out of five. Yeah, definitely four out of five. Really good issue. And then over on the site, Paul also gave it four out of five. So that's going to give... Batman, a total of four out of five batterings. Let's move over into our next book, Detective Comics. Detective Comics number 1006, written by Peter Tomasi, art by Kyle Hotz. Detective Cor- Detectives Corrigan and Martinez are enjoying a small break at a diner while on patrol. During their meal, they receive a call from dispatch calling them to the scene where shots have been fired. They show up to the scene and there is a man slumped against the wall. All evidence points to him having having been knelt against the wall out from behind the detectives a group of green men in robes attack the detectives and shout the host must must die long live the host after all seems lost the specter is summoned out of corrigan's body and into the fight while the specter is dealing with the majority of the attackers a small contingent uh, sneaks up to Corrigan, injects him with a sedative and kidnaps him the specter immediately notices something is off but he cannot feel his host um on the roof of the First National Trust, Batman stops a heist from happening. After a skirmish, Alfred tells him shots were fired in the area, and he should go look into it. As Batman heads to the scene, the Spectre garners Batman's attention as he stands in front of him the size of a high-rise. He tells Batman that he has been looking for him and needs his help. Batman says he thought that they would not meet again. The Spectre tells him that they have much to talk about, and Batman tries to run away. While trying to use his grappling gun to soar to a different building, the Spectre just plucks Batman out of the air by his cape. The Spectre, though quite annoyed, tells Batman to stop running away and teleports them to the scene of the gunfire. Batman asks why the Spectre has come looking for his help. The Spectre explains a man's life is in danger and he needs the world's greatest detective. Batman is still unsure and asks if he really does. After all, the Spectre is the spirit of vengeance. He also asks asks how no one was able to see the specter when he was 300 feet tall and the specter responds that he only has 
He is only he only needed Batman's attention, not the entire city's. Commissioner Gordon and the CSI team walk through the crime scene and gar- gather evidence. Batman and the Spectre walk among the group, and Batman realizing Gordon and the GCPD cannot see them. Batman comments on the level of violence of this crime scene. He walks over to a victim and immediately recognizes him to be Detective Martinez, the partner of Jim Corrigan. Batman turns his attention to the bloodied wall littered with green fabric, stuck in dried blood, and says whoever did this crossed the line that this person enjoyed doing this. Spectre denies, saying he did not enjoy it. He was just simply, he was, it was simply justice for the murdered detective and the unknown victim slumped against the wall. Batman yells that, that what he did was not justice, it was slaughter. Though the Spectre has had this argument countless times with people, it still does not change who he is. He is God's vengeance. As an angry, as angry as, as can be, Batman tells him he does not care what it is. He thought the Spectre needed his help finding a murderer only to find out that he murdered others and tampered with the crime scene. Spectre says he needed his help to find Martinez's partner, James Corrigan. Batman tells him that he will help solve this murder without excessive use of deadly force. Before the Spectre leaves, he tells Batman there's a great deal Batman does not know about his and Corrigan's relationship. Elsewhere, the green men in robes from before chant, The host must die, long live the host, during a candlelit vigil with the body of James Corrigan before them. Alright, so this issue starts off a quick... Uh, two-issue story arc, which we'll wrap up next issue, next episode. Um, but this is dealing with the Spectre. Uh, what I mean, it's been some time since we've seen the Spectre. The last time we saw the Spectre, at least within the pages of um, a TBU book, was during Batman Eternal. Um, what do you think of the Spectre randomly showing up? Can I get a quick history lesson of the Spectre? I can give you as much as I know. He inhabits the body of James Corrigan, which is a GCPD uh, detective. Um, he is basically like a spirit that uh, exacts vengeance on people who have committed crime, committed murder, and such. You know the story of Exodus, where the angel of death kills mm-hmm. all the Egyptian firstborn. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This is basically the spectre. I mean, he is he he, he kills people. I mean. There's not a whole lot. He specifically, to him. kills people for God. Does yeah. does Jim Corrigan do the actual killing, or does the green dude come out and do the killing? No, the green, and... Yeah, the green dude comes out. Oh, okay. He just inhabits a host body, sure, and sure. over time, he's inhabited other hosts besides Jim Corrigan. Um, not since the New Fifty Two. Yeah, not though, since the New Fifty Two, but in the past, he's been in other bodies. But yes, I'm. Uh... Don't forget uh, Gotham by Midnight, which was a whole miniseries about the Spectre, though. Well, not miniseries. It's like 13 issues or something. 12 issues. Was that after Eternal? Yeah, I guess that was after yeah, Eternal. That was a fallout of Eternal. Out of I forgot about that. Yeah. That's why I mentioned it, because it was it led up to the very end of the New 52. Yeah. Well, my only opinion was I was just a little upset that it seems to be another cult secret organization. Surprise! <laughs> Surprise! I was like, not again. Well, you know, Snyder has his secret organizations that Batman's never heard of. <sighs> Tomasi loves cults, apparently. <laughs> um, I, I thought it was really interesting. I think people were talking on the Discord that the art looks really like 1939 Batman and some like really wide apart, long ears. Not even like Kelly Jones. It looks like the, that original 1939 design in some shots. And I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, the art was very distinctive in this one. 
Distinctive is a nice way of putting it. <laughs> it was, it was, it had a Kelly Jones flavor. Yes, it did. <laughs> Without being Kelly Jones. And Dustin was very excited and happy about this, right? Yeah, thrilled. Um, I mean, honestly, I, I mean, I, I knew that Kyle Holtz, is, his art is very, is very much in the same style as Kelly Jones. There's differences. I, I, I knew that this wasn't Kelly Jones. Um, but boy, oh boy. Um, yeah, I just, I absolutely loved this issue. <laughs> okay. I, I don't know. I just thought that, um, the Spectre is always an interesting character for me because of my own religious beliefs. I feel like he's almost never written by someone who I, I feel really has an embrace of the idea of the theology behind him. I really would like to see Christopher Priest write the Spectre because I know he is a Baptist minister. And so, and he actually did write the Spectre a little bit when Hal Jordan was the Spectre. Um, but that was really different and he didn't want to do it because he wanted to write Green Lantern. So I'd love to see Priest write the Spectre as the Spectre um, because I think that his actual belief would come through. I don't know where Tomasi is religiously, but this just felt like he's kind of, it honestly felt kind of like uh, The Brave and the Mold by Tom King where Swamp Thing and Batman team up and Swamp Thing's all like... I have deeper connections to nature and that gives me the right to kill. And Batman's like, no, you can't kill because I'm Batman. And I just feel like this is going to end the same way. So, to be honest, I, I don't have a lot to say about this issue. Um, I can't imagine why. Um, I mean, overall, I, I don't, I, I wouldn't, like, okay, I'll be honest. Obviously, I don't like the art. I don't think anybody out there is going to think that I did like the art. Um, but, at the same time, um, I'm okay with writers trying to, you know, just, you know, to go to different areas within Gotham City, the spiritual element, um, to a degree. There, there's always like these different groups. You've got like the technological, te technological side of Gotham. You've got like the underbelly, uh, like the, the, you know, the, the, the crime drama type stuff. You've got the supernatural. You've got horror. There's lots of different elements that you can, or themes that you can explore. And I'm okay with this being a quick two issue story arc. I don't know that I would like this longer than two issues. And I'm glad that it's planned to only be two issues because while I don't have anything specifically against the Spectre, I think that I don't, I'd rather get something else. Um, I think Arkham, the Arkham Knight story just was slightly underwhelming. And because of that, like going right into something like this, I'm continuing to be underwhelmed and I'm looking for something like really good, juicy, you know, like a really juicy story featuring a, a, a villain that we've seen before or, you know, a new twist on a story or something. I don't know, something. But, like, going from the Arkham Knight and kind of leaving it where it's just like, well, we're just leaving it hanging there because we know we're going to eventually come back to this. And then also then just going into a Spectre story for two issues. I'm really wanting to get something a little bit meatier. So, um, yeah, that being said, I don't have really a whole lot other, uh, you know, I don't have a whole lot other things to say about it. Uh, I'm going to give it three out of five. I was a little disappointed that it. This is the second story where I was thinking, "Oh, a detective story! This is gonna be so cool!" And then, uh, nope. <laughs> it 
It's not. Uh, uh, and then there was no flavor. Like, there was no personality really in this one. There was no family conversations or, I don't know. Everything I, I kind of I enjoy about Tomasi kind of wasn't, wasn't here. Yeah. 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 So, you know, t- two out of five. I'm going to say 2.5 out of 5. All right. And over on the site, Tony gave it 3. So that's going to give Detective Comics a total of 3 out of – nope, 2.5 out of 5 bad ranks. All right. So with that being said, let's jump over to Greater Gotham. It's been a, a, a real, real brief couple of weeks here. Uh, first up, June 19th, uh, main TV books where he talked about Batman number 73, Nightwing number 61, Rick and the Nightwings finish up with the fire elemental putting a close to this case. So by H. Ham, he gave this two out of five. Um, no secondary TBU books. Main DC Universe books, Justice League number 26, while the Justice League prepares for the inevitable doom approaching. John hunts down a mysterious cloaked figure. This is by Andy. He gave it three and a half out of five. Teen Titans number 31. Lobo was after his daughter crush. The Titans try to defend her, but the threat is far too powerful, and it's only a matter of time before they all get killed for their trouble. This is by Donovan. He gave it four out of five. Uh, no secondary DC Universe books that week. Moving over to June 26th. We already talked about Detective Comics. Secondary TV books included Batman Beyond number 33. As Terry finally questions Bruce about his odd behavior, Melanie goes to Arkham to seek out her own answers. This is by Andy. He gave it two and a half out of five. Batman Damned number three. The mystery of what happened on the bridge between Batman and the Joker is revealed. This is by Paul. He gave it four out of five. No main DC Universe books. Secondary DC Universe books. Dial H for Hero number four. A Batman-themed robot appears in the issue. Just League Dark number 12. Man Bat continues to be a part of the main team while Batman appears in a flashback. And then uh, TBU trades and hardcovers from the past two weeks include Batman by Grant Morrison, Omnibus Volume 2 hardcover, Red Hood Outlaw Volume 1 Requiem for an Archer trade paperback, and Batman the Long Halloween DC Modern Classics Edition hardcover. Um... As far as suggestions as a spotlight, um, I'm going to be honest here. There was not a lot that happened in the last couple of weeks that we haven't already discussed. I mean, there's only a total of five additional issues outside of what we reviewed here that released in the past two weeks. These, the weeks three and four of the month have uh, really, really, really been uh, less. Batgirl typically comes out, but that was delayed to the beginning of July. Um, but honestly, looking over the books that came out outside of Batman Detective Comics, I'm going to be honest, I got nothing really to spotlight here. I don't know about you guys, but... Uh, Everything I read, a... I was underwhelmed by. Yeah. Hard saying. Yeah. Ba- Batman Damned is probably the one that would stick out just because it, it wraps things up. But quite honestly, the supernatural elements and the Just League Dark feel of everything that's been going on in the series. It's not really specifically my cup of tea, so it's not something I go out of my way to go recommend. Um, the art was beautiful. I, I mean, check it out for the art if you haven't, but uh, that'd probably be the only thing. Batman Beyond had some 
ridiculousness that happened in it and uh, leave it at that. Um, and then obviously Nightwing continues to be ridiculousness. So there's that. So, um, if we gave, if you heard me give a rating to any of these issues, we have full reviews of all of those books over on the site for you to check out. As always, Wednesdays are all the Batman books all on Thursdays are all the greater Gotham books, including all of the Batman allies and villains. And then on Fridays is all of the DC universe books that the Batman universe characters appear in. Um, those reviews post Monday, Thursday and Friday, every single week for your guys's reading. So be sure to check those out. All right. So before we jump into listener comments, we do have to quickly mention our Patreon supporters. Uh, a couple of new supporters have popped up over the past couple of weeks. Um, so thank you to Colt, Robert, Donald, Brendan, Ian, uh, Austin, Stanton's Grave, Arturo, Irwin, Captain America, Jay Dutton, Real No Deuces, and Cody. And as well as everybody else in the lower tier as well. We greatly appreciate your support. Um, and as I've pointed out in the last episode, um, last episode, the giveaway was for Batman Detective Comics number 1000 Deluxe Edition. Um, if you entered the contest, whether you're a Patreon supporter or not, the Patreon, if you're a Patreon supporter, you get an extra entry um, into the contest. Um, but if you hadn't actually entered the contest, um, that contest is over. But the new prize um, is going to be... There's a series of books from Downtown Books. These were sponsored by Downtown Books. Um, it's a group of books. Um, they're more kid-friendly books, so if you were so inclined to get... I mean, let's be honest. If you're an adult, you're probably not going to pick these books up for yourself, but you could get these books and give them as a gift to somebody to get them interested in, in uh, Batman and other DC superheroes. There's a bunch of books. We'll have a picture of it on the Discord, uh, and then you'll be able to enter into that new contest. And as always, the, the contest will ship worldwide, and all you need to do is just be... Obviously, listen here and hear that there's a new contest, but then really you just need to go to the Discord when the new contest opens, enter in using the directions that are followed on the contest channel, and you'll be entered in for the next contest. So, with that being said, we're going to jump over to our listener comments. And we have two comments. One of them is really long, um, and one of them's not. So we're going to start with the, the, the shorter one first, which comes from Matman via Discord. And he says, do you think it's possible for Joelle Jones to take over the Batman main title after King? By the way, Steph, if you haven't already said so already, your sales reports are amazing. Key up up the good work. Aw, thank you, Matt. Oh, Matt, man. Uh, do you think that with Harley's popularity, DC would scrap Bruce and Selina for Harley and Bruce? Or Dick and Harley? Or do you think they are going to go full with her and Ivy? Dustin, make that shirt. Hashtag take my money. Hashtag one editor, one vision. So I will say, uh, we actually had somebody send me a, 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 an email um, his name is Matt. I'm not sure. I, I don't know that it's the same Matt, but I, I would, I'm going to assume it's not, but somebody named Matt sent me an email actually with a bunch of designs for the one editor, one vision shirt. <laughs> so one of those I will be actually using for the shirt and I will put it up there and make it available for people to purchase and maybe 
that will be the Patreon exclusive shirt for the next quarter as well. Um, just as a, a thing, because I know that there, there was a, cu- a couple of different people who commented on the idea of the shirt. So I'll make it available and then maybe there'll be a different color variation that'll be available as the Patreon exclusive shirt. But getting to your questions, do I think Joel Jones could take over Batman on the main title? No. No. Um, I, I don't see that. I mean, to be fair, what we've seen with Catwoman is while Catwoman is selling well, um, and it was brought to my attention either in, uh, yes, it's, it's actually in the next comment. That's where I read it. But in the next comment, um, the, there, Catwoman is actually the best selling female led book. It's selling actually better than Wonder Woman currently, as well as Harley Quinn, which, Harley Quinn is consistently sold really well, and it's not selling as high as Catwoman, so that says something. Um, the catch is, I don't think it's because the it, the story's all that great. I think it's just because it's Catwoman and everyone's picking it up because they're assuming it's going to eventually tie back into what's happening with Batman. I don't know that that's the case, and I don't honestly think that's the case, because even though Catwoman is going to be popping up in Batman number 75 and 76 and 77, 78, 79 and so forth and so on because of we, we know this because of solicits and interviews and things like that have been already announced. The Catwoman main series is still going to be in Villa Hermosa. So yeah. So yeah, the thing is like, here's the thing. Joel Jones, I think she's a talented writer. I just don't think that DC is going to jump to the level or giving her a, the level of that book. Let's be honest, that book is reserved for like top tier, top tier. And when I say top tier, I mean like top premium tier writers, not writers who had their first their first foray into superhero comics was Catwoman. And that was the extent of their superhero comics because she hasn't written any other superhero comics. She's written some other stuff that is, um, you know, more independent comics, not obviously superheroes within the DC universe. So I don't see her getting Batman. I just, I just don't, that's, it's, it's like 100% unlikely. I would disagree. I think depending on who is in charge at DC, um, post 100. Okay. Hold on. Seriously. You think that Joelle Jones with her lack of experience is going to be put on Batman Yes, oh, I think man. that there's a chance. Oh. I don't think I'm not betting money, but I think there's a chance because I think DC editorial is stupid. Let me make this clear: I don't want this to happen. I just think that they're dumb enough to do it. Yeah, I don't like the idea of because I mean there's it's cool co- seeing like, women in 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 big in big selling books, but also putting a woman on for the sake of it being a woman is not cool. And I think that that would I hate to say it, but that'd be the only reason because Joelle Jones's art is amazing. She's a great artist. But her the Catwoman books have been kind of hit or miss. Like I don't, I don't think that mostly miss. Yeah, and I just don't think that's uh, she would be great. Yeah. To be clear, like if the idea was to put a woman on the book for the sake of putting a woman on the book, I believe that there are women who have way more experience writing superheroes than Joel Jones, and that's the thing. Like I. I say it's not possible because I just don't feel like she has enough experience. You know, could I have said the same thing about Tom King back when, if somebody asked me when he was on Grayson, probably, but Grayson sold well. 
you know, uh, the Omega Men, which released in his Vision series, were critically acclaimed series and got a lot of attention. So was it that much of a risk to put him on Batman? Yeah, I mean, let's be honest, it kind of was a risk to some degree because he really wasn't in any sort of top tier book. Like when when you think about writers, there's very few writers that jump to Batman without being on some other hero or at least some other team book. There's just there's just not very many. I mean, Grant Morrison worked on lots of stuff for years before he actually wrote the Batman series. Um, Scott Snyder was kind of like in this, he kind of had the same exact kind of uh, momentum, I guess, as as uh, Tom King in the sense of American Vampire was successful at Vertigo. He, he wrote the Detective Comics Black Mirror story that was successful to a degree, um, similar to the way Grayson was, um, and, and got a lot of people talking about how it was good, and they took a risk with him because it was something different. Um, it paid off, obviously, and it, just like it's paid off with Tom King, but I just, it seems like, I mean, I guess, hypothetically, if you look at it from the situation of you take someone who has very little experience or not as much experience as some other people, could they be on it? Sure. She could end up being on it because, but let's be honest, so could anybody else. Um, I will say that there is no way they do not put the, the person they put on, if they put someone on Batman for a foreseeable amount of time, there is no way they put somebody on it that's not, does not have an exclusive contract with them. No way. There is no way that they put somebody on the book that does not have an exclusive contract, which only leaves so many people. And... Yeah, but they could put someone on inclusive, exclusive to start them on Batman. That's basically what they usually do. Because I think, well, I know Tom King was freelance before he got on Batman because he was doing Vision. Right, and so was so, Scott Snyder. Scott Snyder didn't so, have an exclusive contract until a little after the time that New Fifty Two had already kicked off. Because Greg Capullo right. signed so I think an exclusive too. It's conceivable too. that whoever they pick, and I, I would agree with you that Tom Taylor or Bendis are much more. Um, what do you call it? Uh, likely than Jones, but I, I hope everyone remembers, I don't like Dan Didio, I don't like Bob Harris, I think they make stupid decisions, and I think that putting Joel Jones on Batman would be the kind of stupid decision they would make. Yeah. And then your other question about uh, with Harley's popularity, would DC scrap Bruce and Selina? Uh, hell no. Hell that no. <laughs> is never going to happen. I mean, like, could we see a Batman-Harley Quinn series? You know, like a miniseries or something sometime in the future, it's possible. I mean, I think Harley Quinn could be literally teamed with anybody for a short amount of time, and it could be a decent story, mm-hmm. you know, in that zaniness side of things. There was I mean, that have, movie. There, yeah, well, I don't want to talk about that movie. <laughs> um, but, like, you could take Batman, who's the serious character, and you could take Harley, which is the crazy character, who, or not crazy, but, like, zany character, and, like, team them up. And obviously you've got, like... You know, like oil and vinegar. So, of course, it's going to be like a buddy cop where one's very strict, one's not. You know, you've got that, you know, you got that clash of personalities and it could be something. As far as Dick and Harley, I mean, let's be honest, what they're doing with Dick right now, I feel like they're just trying to bury that character so that nobody cares at all about them. Um, and then obviously your last question about do they go on full with Har- Harley and Ivy? Well, I'm not like, I think what you're trying to ask is, do they scrap Bruce and Selena having a relationship for Bruce and Harley having a relationship in that regard? No, I don't see Dick and Harley having a relationship, even with that ridiculous movie. Um, like going full on with her and Ivy having a relationship. I mean, like they allude to it way more than they probably 
should if it's not going anywhere. But let's be honest, they allude to relationships with all kinds of characters that never actually go anywhere. So are they ever going to pull the pull pull the switch for actually making it happen? Probably not. I mean, like they just keep alluding to it, or a writer will make a comment about it that's not. You know, in an interview saying like, well, the intent was always that people would assume that they got together, but it's not, it doesn't actually happen. I just don't know, like, despite the fact that there are characters within the DC universe that represent the LGBTQ, LGBTQ community, I just don't think that DC is ready to pull the, pull the switch with, or pull the trigger, I guess is the better, that's actually the, the phrase, um, with Harley and Ivy being a full on couple done in a lot of AUs, like Harley's solo title and bombshells. I don't know. The solicits seem to be pushing away from that idea, which confuses me, because I thought that's there where they were going in Heroes in Crisis, but I don't know. Alright, our next and last comment comes from Kalinsky, who says... I can't see Harley anymore, especially as an anti-hero, because she is so much more interesting if she isn't one. Harley and Batman. White Knight was awesome, and I liked Gotham City Sirens because it was more fun than just funny adventures. I really hope they stop putting her in every damn book. It doesn't matter, it doesn't matter whether it makes sense or not. Heroes in Crisis could have worked without her at all, but it had to be Harley because DC said so. And don't tell me she was there because of Ivy. Then where the heck were all the other characters that had emotional bonds to those that died? People kept saying that Batman is everywhere. That might be true, but at least he has a purpose in every story. Be a leader, tutor, fighter, and so on. Harley is just in another book. Uh, Harley is just in other books because she is Harley and everybody loves her. Ain't I right? She was even part of the No Justice FFS. Ironically, I think her own series is probably much better in her own regard than I assume, but I can't bring myself up to reading them because it's annoying the hell out of me and the D and DC that DC pushes her so rigorously everywhere they can though. I read the two issues with the cat with Catwoman, and those were good. Not great, but fine. Nonetheless, however, her constant presence, especially in events is mind boggling for me. Put Batman in something like Deathstroke and the sales explode. I think they went up 20 or 10 or 20 K. If I remember correctly, does this, that is correct. That's correct. Does uh, the same happen with Harley? I don't know, but I doubt that because I rather de- de- yeah, because I rather deliberately avoid it unless it is something like Batman White Knight. But hey, who's looking for that Harley movie with her minor unimportant sidekicks called Bird of Braids, eh? That big change Tom Cruise Tom Cruise. The big change Tom King was teasing is happening in the Batman Catwoman series in the last issue. He said that in a podcast on iFanboy. Also about Catwoman, it has been the best selling ongoing series with a female lead, not just DC, for the last two months, so is that. Though I agree the story has become a little bit stale and uninteresting. So far the fillers by others have been more fun than the actual story. That's true. Having read Jones's former series, Lady Killers, which was great, shows that she can tell a story and draw. However, I think her Catwoman suffers more from its slow pace than the actual plot. I hope that whatever happens in this next Batman, in the next Batman issues, Catwoman gets back to Gotham where she belongs. Well, no need to fear. 
Catwoman is coming back to Gotham in 75. They've already confirmed that, so there's no need for that. However, in her own series, that, I guess, will just keep trucking along in Villa Hermosa and be outside of all DC Universe elements except for the occasional Penguin pop-up. So, um, so Harley, uh, I mean, like, we've talked about this before. Um, the character is popular. Like, like Ian said, she's literally the second most popular character that's selling stuff outside of Batman at DC. So it's not, it's not unheard of that she keeps popping up and they keep forcing her into other things. I don't think it's entirely necessary. Honestly, if they bring, if they, if the Suicide Squad ends up becoming a thing and actually ends up being brought back after the, the, the series ended before if they bring it back. I don't really want to see Harley as part of the suicide squad. I'd like to see the team focus on something else because I feel like Harley is just around. Like a lot of times she's just there because she's there. There's no real reason she's there. Um, and that's, that's the problem for me. Obviously she was involved because she was involved in the previous, the new 52 version. Then obviously the film as well. So there's that. Um, but I honestly think that, the Suicide Squad could be, I mean, like, I understand that it has to have characters that are going to draw people in outside of the realm of the typical people who are just going to pick up Suicide Squad. But I don't, I don't really want Harley Quinn to be on that team. I feel like she may, she, she could have a, a good story elsewhere. Um, I do, I'm slightly concerned about the, her being part of Birds of Prey and how the main focus is, of course, or at least everything that I've seen up to this point for the film has been all about Harley and not about the actual Birds of Prey. And the fact that the Birds of Prey consist of a very, very weird mix. Black Canary's there and Huntress is there, but then you've got them going after a young Cassandra Kane, which I doubt is actually going to go anywhere as far as, you know, Batgirl or being connected to Batman in any way, shape or form. Um, and then you've got, Renee Montoya there, which again, I don't understand why she's there. It just felt like they were just trying to pick and choose what female characters that they could use, but still have it connected to the Batman side of things because Batman is the stuff that's typically successful instead of trying to go out there and, you know, do something completely different. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I, I, I'm very hesitant because we haven't really seen anything. I keep hearing things through the grapevine and, and stuff online and things like that about the film. And I'm like really cautiously optimistic about what could happen with the film just because I'm glad to see a lot of these characters get onto the big screen, but I really don't want it to be a Harley movie where these other characters are all just playing second fiddle, which I feel like that's a lot of what's going to be, but I could be completely wrong. I don't know. I mean, like uh, it's hard to say, but I mean, we all know why Harley's in so many books. I mean, we know the reason and uh, yeah. So yeah. All right, so with that, that is all of our comments for this episode. If you have a comment that you'd like us to talk about on the next episode, be sure to head over to the site and leave your comment in the comment section, or you can leave us the comments on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, wherever you're listening to this, and as long as you tag us back so that we can find it, we will be sure to listen to your comment or read your comment and, 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 or you can obviously post on our discord as well. We'll port all those questions over and we'll talk about them on the next episode. Um, before we go, we have a quick, quick, quick monkey watch. Monkey watch 2017.
Um, I thought we weren't going to go as long, and then, of course, we ended up talking for almost 40 minutes about Batman, and then we were talking forever about those ratings, too. So, apologies, but I we're going to do a Monkey Watch. So, the Monkey Watch is a quick one. So, the Monkey Watch this time around is, when you were a child, uh, what was your favorite family film that you watched a lot? Start with Steph. I am almost ashamed. And I don't, I don't know why I remember this, but I remember just it ending, and I would, oh, right, on my VCR, of course. And then I'd rewind, and then I would watch it again, and then I would rewind. And, and I just remember distinctly, and I don't know why, but it was the Flintstones movie <laughs> with John Goodman. John Goodman, and <laughs> oh, gosh. The dad from Honey, Rosie I Shrunk the Kids. Was in there. Rosie O'Donnell. Oh, my goodness. And I think, I think Halle Berry was the bad guy, or at least the assistant to the bad guy. Ugh, I, I saw that in theaters that. when I was a kid. Did you? <laughs> yeah. No, we I thought didn't. the McDonald's toys, the Happy Meal toys, were pretty cool too. I think I had, but oh, I don't know why I love that movie so much. I can't even tell you what it's about. I had to look it up to remember who was in it. <laughs> it's got twenty two percent on Rotten Tomatoes. All right, Ian. So this one's a little tricky. Um, in terms of movie that the whole family uh, would watch, I remember. Uh, we watched the Anne of Green Gables miniseries with Megan <gasps> Follows. Uh, yes. I was a fan of that. I actually watched it before the books, but I've read all eight of the books and love them. Um, we also watched this uh, Disney movie called um, Perfect Harmony. Uh, of course, these were also on VHS because I'm... <laughs> uh, I don't know how old I am compared to you guys, but I think we're all roughly the same age. Probably. Um, but Perfect Harmony was a book about a southern um, boy's school with a heavy emphasis on music um and they're all boy sopranos and so um it's set i think during jim crow because there's like some clan references and stuff and the fact that one of the main characters is a black boy and he's got a beautiful voice and he befriends one of the white school members um is a big plot point but my family really loved it it had some interesting commentary about racism and of course, music. My family is very musical. So um, I think those two are, are ones I really have a, a fond memory of watching with my family that aren't, you know, like Star Wars or Princess Bride or something. These are the ones that are more unique to my family that I don't remember. So when I was a kid, there was there's two movies that I watched a lot of. Uh, there was a film that was called Fuzz Bucket. <laughs> Which was a made-for-TV movie that was a it was a Disney movie and it had an introduction by Michael Eisner. It was aired on ABC back in '86, but my parents had taped it, and I had watched this thing so many times. And it is like the like it, it's weird because it's meant to be a movie, but it's only like 46 minutes long. So like with the commercials, it'd be an hour. Which thinking about that, it's like how could that have been considered a film? But I watched that thing. All the time, and I think the reason I liked it was because the, the if for those of you who are unaware, it's basically about this kid who has a imaginary friend who causes trouble, and then the kid gets in trouble for it. The kid the the kid ends up yelling at his imaginary friend, saying, "Get out of here! You can't be friends with me anymore because you keep getting me in trouble." Then he realizes that he was wrong goes after the guy, but then his family thinks the kid ran away because the kid got in trouble for all the stuff. So, not that that of course relates to my childhood in any way shape or form but i thought the idea was it was just something unique 
honestly, looking back at it as an adult, I've watched it since I, since I was a kid and it's really, really not that great uh, <laughs> at all. Um, but the one movie that I, that I made my parents rent from the video store way more times or so many times that we probably should have just bought it was the never ending story. Oh no. I watched this movie at least a couple times a year. Because we didn't own it, but we we would rent it from the the movie store, and every time we would go, my dad would be like, oh, "What do you want to rent?" And I'd be like, "Never ending story." <laughs> and um, it was funny because years later, when I got older, and it was originally, you know, it was eventually released on DVD and stuff, I had found out that there was not only a second which I had seen, but I never thought the second one was as good. The th- there was a third one that was made at some point too, and I was like, "What?" <laughs> And yeah, the third one, yeah, it just went off the rails. But, but yeah, the uh, never-ending story was was uh, the thing. And I, the funny thing is, I was telling my son, who was I believe five at the time, I was like, "Hey, let's watch this movie. I love this movie when I was a kid." And it gets—I don't want to spoil anything, but there's a very specific point that involves a horse. And if you've seen the movie, you know what I'm talking about. But it's a very sad moment, and. It was it was sad, even as an adult, that it was still happening, even though I knew it was going to happen. So, yeah. So now you know a little bit more about us. Muppets okay. and me, I don't... Ugh. I couldn't do the never-ending stories and the willows and the dark crystals. Oh, I, man, I can't those were all my favorite those. stuff. No, oh. oh, so icky. I'm oh. with you, Steph. I didn't <laughs> like those either. God those bless you if you love them, but... Any oh. sort of puppet, any sort of puppet was, was my, my cup of tea. No! I love Sesame Street. I just didn't oh, yeah. like it when they that, to make, those like, puppets movies. not so much. I like the Muppets, but I didn't like Sesame Street. I like the Muppets <laughs> no, no, no. and I like love all of the other really stuff that was out there: Dark Crystal, no. Labyrinth, no. you know, oh, Labyrinth. Story, oh, David Bowie's pants. Willow, Princess Bride to a degree. I mean, like, there's oof, all that, all the, the all that, uh, you know. Our USs like, are okay. Those aren't really Muppets. I know. All right, anyway, so now you know a little bit more about us. And uh, we've gone past our time, so I will close out now by saying be sure to check out all the things we have to offer on the website. We have all kinds of original content, including the reviews that we talk about, as well as all the news related to movies, TV, merchandise, video games, and, of course, the comics. Uh, We actually do have a new article series that's posted on Monday mornings called Batman Through the Years, which focuses on a specific year in Batman's history and talks about all the major events that happen within the comics chronologic yeah chronologically published time frame so like starting off with 1939 which is already up and while you're listening this 1940 will be up and then 41 will be up right around the corner so be sure to check out that under the comic editorial section also be sure to check out all the other podcasts we have to offer there's new episodes of Batman books, The Dark Knight Pros, the, the Bat Fans, Bat Called Oracle, Robin Everyone Loves Drake, Everyone Loves Young Justice, new episodes of all kinds of shows, so be sure to check all those out. In addition to that, be sure to join our Discord to chat with us, as well as other staff and other Bat fans about all things related to Batman, and then be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube for all these news and videos from the Batman universe. And Instagram. Yes, uh, Instagram. I really got to work that into my 
my repertoire. Uh, yes, follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and and I and you know the funny thing is I say that on Instagram we actually have almost as many followers on Instagram as we do on Facebook. So I really should make a point to keep mentioning that, but uh, I keep forgetting. Um, but anyway, yes, uh, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube, um, and that's how you can keep up with to date with everything that we have to offer. Uh, with that being said, uh, that is everything for this episode. This is Dustin. This is Steph. And this is Ian. You've been listening to the Batman vs. Comic Podcast. We'll see you guys in two weeks. Oh, give me a home Where the buffalo roam Where the deer and the antelope play Seldom is heard a discouraging word, and the skies are not cloudy all day.